This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 54 of the Best Seeds Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry right here in Orange County, the rest of Southern California, and beyond each and every episode. As always, I am your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. A huge thank you, as always, to my friend Allie Coyle, who provides the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. And thankfully, now that things are starting to open up, you might even be able to see her and her band and music and everything else playing live again at a venue near you. So keep an eye out for that. As a reminder, if you do enjoy this show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it. It helps other folks discover it. It helps me spread the good word of hospitality, etc., Go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. The blog is back up. You're going to start to see a bunch more stuff getting posted over there from humor, press releases, etc. And do not forget that you can always go to patreon.com slash thebestseats, sign up and support this show at an amount that means the most sense to you, and you will get early ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, early access to certain bits of content, and more, but enough of that. Let's talk about episode 54. Uh, this is an exciting one, as they all are, but this one's fun. Uh, it's the first time that I'm getting to sit back down with a guest as well as have a new guest on. Now, a couple episodes back, if you've been paying to, uh, attention to the show for a while, you heard me sit down with Chef Amy LeBron. Now, at the time, she was at Lido Bata Works over in Newport Beach, California. She has moved on, and she is currently helming up all of the kitchen aspects of Fermentation Farm over in Costa Mesa. Now... If you're not familiar with Fermentation Farm, founded originally by Dr. Yasmin Mason, that's okay, because I got you covered in this episode. They are doing some wild, wild stuff. Now, they've been going for several, several years. Dr. Mason founded it back in 2014, but fermentation is nothing new. In fact, it's something wildly historical. People have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. However, in modern culinary is really seeing this big resurgence as far as kind of mainstream cuisine. And what I mean by that is just kind of the everyday places that you're going to find. Obviously, in certain cultural cuisines, it's been around forever. The number one, you know, the thing that you're probably thinking of right now is something like kimchi or sauerkraut. I mean, again, there's aspects all over the world and historical cases of people using fermentation in cooking. Well, now that Chef Amy LeBron has come on board, they are doing a whole lot more with it. But I am not going to do it justice trying to describe it to you here. No, 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 no. You came here for the podcast, so let's not waste any more time. I'm going to let the experts tell you all about what they're doing over at Firm Farm, and trust me, it's a good one. So without further ado, episode 54 of the Best Seats podcast featuring the founder of Fermentation Farm, Dr. Yasmeen Mason, and Chef Amy LeBron. Enjoy. Doctor, Chef, so excited to sit down today, talk about uh, Fermentation Farm, everything that we have going on or that y'all have going on up here in Costa Mesa. Before we dive into all of the different things that I want to talk about and dive into, would you both, well, I should say one of you has been on the show before, Chef Amy LeBron, formerly of Lido Bottle Works, now at Fermentation Farm. So you're not a stranger to the show, but for those that may not have heard that episode, would you both mind introducing yourselves, giving a little bit of your background and basically kind of what what you're doing here. Um, I'm Dr. Yasmin Mason. I'm actually a chiropractor. Started fermentation farm about seven years ago here in Costa Mesa. And it basically is a, a concept or an idea that was developed on my kitchen counter, making a lot of gut-friendly and, and fermented foods for our patients in our chiropractic office. Um, then it just kind of grew from there. And here we are seven years later. We've expanded numerous times and... Um, you know, Amy is one of the newest additions to our team. 
and we're just glad to have her. Thank you. Um, I'm Chef Amy LeBrun, and uh, I'm a really old friend of Yaz's. We met seven or eight years ago, and I would love for you to touch on that story. Um, yeah, about seven years ago, uh, when we opened Fermentation Farm, Amy came in. She was working at Sandy's at the time, I believe, in Huntington Beach, or maybe at, at 24 Carats. Yeah, one long of those, time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> and um, she was asking a few questions. She had a family member that was having some health challenges, so I helped her along with that. I was just going on a hike down um, not too far from here and just walked in and met Yaz, and she, she's been my friend ever since. And just in this general area and me yeah. needing uh, health needs and trying to get educated, Yaz has helped me quite a bit through the years. So I'm glad we're continuing this friendship and relationship on a professional level. So having walked around and seen it today and tasted the food and some of the things that you're doing here and seen some of the things you're doing, it's, it, it's one thing to say that you kind of started as a concept on your kitchen counter and obviously everything kind of has a humble beginning, but walking around today and seeing what you're doing, this is anything but humble. I mean, for anybody who hasn't been over here, who lives in the area that's listening, who doesn't know what's going on, what would be your kind of elevator pitch to them before I kind of dive in and, and we start to really flesh out all the just amazing different things that you have going on. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, and like I said, we've expanded multiple times. Uh, initially started in 800 square foot, one of the spaces um, here at Victoria Square. And we're, we now have seven of the eight suites on our side of the building. So about 4,500 square feet we've expanded to. So over the last seven years, that expansion has just been, you know, every nine to 12 months, we've taken a new space and, and expanded the concept a little bit more. Um, most recently, we added the restaurant portion, which Chef Amy is, you know, helping us with, which is great. She's elevated our menu and, and you know, along with her classic culinary techniques, um, blending fermentation with that has been a really super fun process. Um, but as far as an elevator pitch, we make fermented foods. We make traditional foods like bone broth, um, fermented beverages like kombucha, and then with the addition of the hot bar now, the restaurant portion, it's just, again, elevated it to a new level. Chef, you and I spoke last year when you were still at um, Little Bottle Works. When did you come on board and what's that transition been like for you? I came on board in February, February 1st. I've been consulting for quite some time with Yaz. We've been friends to the years and just watching her business grow has been tremendous. It's, it's, it's just very motivating and just watching what she can do and what she's capable of. It's just like, I want, I want, to, I want to join this team too. Um, put me in coach more so than anything. Um, but yeah, we've been kind of like planning on this for quite some time. I, I just wasn't ready at that, at, at, in a moment to come over, but the timing was right for both of us. We just kind of planned it that way. So when I left the last job, I took a good solid month off and just chilled out and was ready to come to work on the 1st of February. And I, it's like, I, I it's, it was like, it's like it's yesterday. Just like turning my head back. Where did the time go? It's so much fun. When you say fermented foods, I think a lot of people, California is a very health conscious state. I think a lot of people like to try and be as healthy as they can. Fermented foods have a long history of health benefits. You talked about having a healthy gut and all the things that that can aid to one's life. I think that there's a lot of people who hear fermented food and they think of maybe two to three items, right? It's probably kombucha, kimchi, you know, kimchi for some. There's only a handful that some people think of. I'd be interested to hear from both of your perspectives how you would tell someone that maybe came in and had no idea what fermentation truly was. How would you each explain that to that person? The definition, if we just go back to the basic definition of fermentation, it's really just the microbial action, yeast and bacteria, breaking down sugar or carbohydrates. So when we have yeast and bacteria that are beneficial to our system and our gut, um, they eat sugar and they give off probiotics, B vitamins, organic acids. These are all the healthful things that happen when we take, say, a cabbage, shred it, put salt on it, let it sit for seven days at room temperature, that becomes a fermented product, right? It, it elevates that cabbage from just an organic head of cabbage to a superfood. So the yeast and bacteria do all the work we don't do very much work. All we do is shred and salt and let it sit around. So the work's actually being done by the yeast and bacteria. 
Those are oh. our coworkers. We call those guys our coworkers because they're the ones doing all of the work. Uh, everyone's like, oh, it's so much work to f- do fermentation. I guess I'll come to a class, but oh boy, it just seems like so much work. And it's not that much work. We don't, we don't get to participate in the bulk of the work. The yeast and bacteria do that work. We, we can't make fermented foods, humans. We can't really, you know, we can't chew them up, spit them out and make fermented foods, right? But that's what the yeast and bacteria do. Mm-hmm. They chew up the sugars and turn all those extra elements into the healthful products that we need for our gut. A chef from the culinary side of things, how would you kind of translate fermentation to a, a guest? Well, I would, for me, it's like a whole new chapter. Yeah, fermentation has been around for a long time, but I wasn't using those techniques per se as a focus in cuisine before. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn a lot about it and how to utilize it in, in the techniques and the methods that we're, I'm doing today. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning about that and, and implementing it. So I, 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 w- I wouldn't say I have much to comment on. A lot well, of- I, w- I would say what it comes just down to, play, uh, to the flavor profiles yeah. of food, right? So even though it's been a process to kind of teach Amy, you know, all the different processes around fermentation, that sort of thing, she can taste something and say that goes great with it. So basically with her culinary knowledge and, and using the different acidic flavors or um, umami flavors that come from different fermented foods, then she can then impart that onto um, different dishes that she's created for our menu, which is awesome. That's a whole different ball game. <laughs> I'm still learning. So I'm, I'm just, ha- I'm thrilled. I'm, there's never a dull moment. Good. Maybe you have to do that. So, um, so coming on board only about give or take, again, we're recording this for, you know, Monday, middle of June, You've been on, give or take, six months now. What are some of the changes? What was Fermentation Farm to you before, Doctor? And where is it going now that Amy's on board? Well, I mean, we have tons and tons of fun ideas that we throw around all the time. Um, it's a matter of implementing, right? Because this is a, it's a, a boat that's kind of been cruising and going for a good amount of time. And then now we're just trying to throw up on or throw a bunch of other things on board, um, to try to keep it going in a, a fresh and new direction. Um, we just started brunch service, uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So that's been going really well. There's a bunch of new brunch items, um, where we're going. We'd like to have a dinner service also, you know, or the bulk of the patrons that come, they're here either early morning-ish to maybe mid to late afternoon for an early dinner, but not really, we close at seven, so we don't really have a, a late dinner service, so that's something we'd like to incorporate in the future. Chef, from the cooking side of things, fermented items aren't necessary, and you and I were speaking about this before we recorded, they're not something you traditionally cook with, because as soon as you do apply heat and different techniques, you're basically removing all the benefits of that item, changing some of the flavors, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of destroying that product. What has it been like for you to come on board, taking all of your talent and translating it to a wildly and sometimes challenging new environment? Well, it definitely keeps me on my toes. And I'm, I'm so hungry for knowledge. And this is something that I'm, I'm uh, again, just learning. So every, every approach to new methods, new recipes is 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 different to me so like i was telling you earlier complacency kills me so there's i just i can't get enough there when i think i know enough i don't know I just keep diving deeper and deeper into the process because there's so many different ways to ferment and so many different results based on temperature based on ingredients uh methods so it's just it's i mean i i like to think that I have an understanding of food. I'm certainly not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's so much information out there that it's impossible to truly be an expert in anything. There are some people out there that have written some very comprehensive guides on fermentation. People like, you know, Rene Redzepi, I know the Noma fermentation book is kind of everybody's kind of Bible, but there's so much material out there. At least it seems like there is, you know, you say you're constantly learning and this is a challenge doctor. You've been doing this for a lot of years. Is there a lot of information? I mean, these are very ancient techniques, but it doesn't necessarily mean they've been cataloged. 
where are you getting this kind of knowledge from and how are you learning kind of day by day? The whole realm of fermentation, you know, 10 years ago when I started fermenting and looking into creating these gut friendly foods for our patients, that was, you know, ultimately what I was kind of interested in. I was home with my kids. I wasn't practicing very much, you know, for eight years, I was able to stay home with my kids, which when they were little, it was great, but I had a lot of time on my hands and kind of a worker. So staying at home was kind of a, you know, I was just looking for things to do. I picked up knitting and fermenting. <laughs> the two things I did for eight years, take care of my kids and I knitted and I fermented. So, um, just reading more and more about fermentation at the time, thinking about 10 years ago, really there was Sandor Katz was the only one that really had any mm -hmm. solid information, recipes, a website that you could go to. Um, so I really learned from him initially. And then now in the last 10 years, there's a plethora of books. There are so many authors. Um, we carry a bunch of fermentation books in the shop there. You know, we have classes too. We have our classes that are starting up again tomorrow. Um, we haven't had classes for 17 months through the pandemic. So, um, yeah, it's great. We're we're just all about educating. That was one of the initial reasons for me opening the shop too. Not only did this grow from, you know, an idea and a concept on my kitchen counter, like I said, but I really felt like no one really knows how to do this. Really, no one knows how to take that cabbage, put salt on it, and turn it into a superfood, right? And it's super simple. There's just a lot of fear around it and a lot of myths around you know, dangers around fermentation. So we like to dispel all those myths and, and the classes were something that we had from the get-go, right from the beginning. So. I mean, historically speaking, you're talking about food items that are 6,000 years old, things like kombucha, things like that. And culturally speaking, there's a lot of different cultures that fermentation is just a part of daily life. I mean, I've, you know, I mentioned kimchi earlier, you know, talk about you know, Korean, Chinese. I mean, there's tons of history there. You know, America's a baby considered, you know, by the rest of the world, only 240 some odd years old or whatever we're at now. Is it also part of just reaching into different cultures and dragging out their culinary history too and trying to translate it to what does that look like for fermentation farm? That's part of it. I mean, it is an age old practice. It just went by the wayside because of refrigeration. You know, in the forties when everybody started having an ice box or a refrigerator, there was really not a reason to preserve food anymore through fermentation. Fermentation wasn't initially, you know, done because of gut health. We didn't have antibiotics 6,000 years ago. We didn't have, you know, all of these health issues that people have now because of, you know, poor diet and um, annihilating gut bacteria with antibiotics and things. We didn't have that 6,000 years ago or even, you know, 500 years ago. We didn't have that. So um, fermentation for the last 6,000 years really has been as a preservation method for food. Um, and now everyone's kind of going back to it because of, you know, the way that we've lost our health. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone's kind of going back to that now as a health practice and not so much as a preservation method, even though it is a pre preservation method. And, um, you know, it, it, there's just different reasons for why people are looking into fermentation now. Chef, from the culinary side of things, preservation is not something that's necessarily new to food and not just speaking about kind of what you're doing with Firm Farm, but things like preserving meats, you know, creating cheeses, things like that. This is not something that's necessarily new speaking from a culinary standpoint, but to you, what has this been like and how has it changed the way that you either cook? Because again, like we mentioned earlier, you're not cooking specifically with these ingredients, but how has it changed the way that you've been approaching food? I find it challenging because I, I put a lot of emphasis in the past five years of like super, super fresh local ingredients. Well, fermented fermentation process is not fresh food. It's fermented now. And the, the essence of that fresh, that first bite, the first season, um, the first season, the first bite of whatever's in season is completely different flavor than, than you're going to get um, with fermentation process. So having to like marry that, those flavors, the freshness of that, of that moment with fermentation is, has been um, interesting to me, you know, like... Uh, that's a lot of the dishes that we're working with today. Uh, something that a different approach of cooking that I never used. And I'm just being fascinated by it. Um, the shelf life of something. Wow, I can make a harissa sauce. Usually that would last four days on the line. Now it's lasting once in, in a case and it tastes, I can't even describe it. It's way, way it's better. better with time. Yeah. It's way better. And I was and I'm still, and it's like, like you said, it's, I've been here six months. I'm still discovering products that I fermented six months ago are getting better in time. 
tasting better. So the possibilities, that's, I'm like, I'm, this is my playground. Like, <laughs> well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in. Custom built from the ground up by hospitality professionals, Hire Lilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions, and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build-out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff are trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, it is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring. Using the promo code STAYSTRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. HireLilo provides on-site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go, and that you can utilize all the features HireLilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to HireLilo.com. That's H-I-R-E-L-I-L-O.com. Once again, that's HireLilo.com. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, the best seats 15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code the best seats 15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Like, <laughs> I, I love seeing your energy, and it's so infectious to see how happy you are here. The irony is not lost for anybody who knew your cooking beforehand of how hyper seasonal you were. Everything was about as fresh as it could possibly be. You know, walking around there today, and you're talking about ingredients that now have these long shelf lives and are lasting longer and things like that. Is it changing the way that you are? looking to not just kind of plate, but is it changing how you're seeing seasons? Because now you're talking about something that may be fresh right now, but what's going to happen to it, you know, X amount of weeks, X amount of months, whatever it is when it's just sitting, like you said, and just developing all those new flavors. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, uh, the time will only tell. The, the co-workers are working. 
<laughs> I'm working and they're working at the same time. So let's see what happens. A lot of things are going to unfold. Um, I have so many projects in the works that I don't have results for yet because they're still working. Yeah, walking again. You were gracious enough to give me a tour before we started recording today. Walking around the, I think you said it was forty five hundred square feet at this point. You guys have just expanded and expanded and expanded. You would have thought it looks like a fermentation version of like Breaking Bad. I mean, there's just canisters of stuff sitting. Like there's just like so one specific project because I think this is something that is going. I hope it starts to get more traction because it's fantastic if people start to understand it. Is your Koji project? That you're working on right now. Can you give a little bit of background on that, kind of a, a crash course on what that is and just what that, I mean, that's just one of many projects that you're working on, but that was the one that I found so kind of like deeply fascinating. I think this is one of the first projects that Yaz and I started working on that she inspired me to do because I've just never heard of this before and, 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 and the flavor profiles. Um, Again, like Yaz is very science driven and, and that's where she's teaching me. So I'd love for you to touch on the Aspergillus cerisae um, and the kind of like the process that we start with for yeah, the so koji. koji. So koji is just basically the Japanese term for a mold called Aspergillus cerisae. And um, the Chinese name for that is Jiunyang uh, is another um, thing that they or another food that they make a uh, fermented rice with using this aspergillus cerise. So lots of different Asian cultures have used this mold, and it's kind of funny to talk about a mold. But we talk about blue cheese, and most people have eaten blue cheese, and like, okay, well that's a mold, right? That's a, a penicillin rock forty mold, mm-hmm. right? So these are all just different food grade molds that grow on different substrates and usually carbohydrates. Um, so the aspergillus cerise is a mold that grows on really, really well on grains. Um, we've used it on barley, different types of rice. We've kind of experimented um, a little bit. And then now once we bloom the mold, uh, we dry it, grind it down, and we can put it on different things. Um, Chef Amy has put that on beets to turn that into our seasonal salad dressing, which is a koji beet dressing. Adds just a new mommy flavor that's, I don't know, you can't quite put your finger on why it's so good. So Yaz will start off with the science side, Right. <laughs> And then I'll, bre- I'll break it down into the food side. You know, that's like what I'm most confident with. But just the whole process of creating koji versus buying it is a process. You know, they're, they're a living form. You don't, you have to keep them alive. You have to feed them. You have to nurture them. It takes time, you know. Um, so it's just definitely been a process that I want to just, you know, be feel very confident about. And once I do... Um, do some different applications with it and then teach people. But until then it's, it's still in the works, but it's been a fun process. When you do create the Koji itself, you mentioned an application for it. What would that be? Because I have no doubt that there's somebody listening to this and they're looking at that cheese in their fridge and going, shit, is that mold? And they're just not, because it, I think it gets a dirty word sometimes. And, but so many things in food are alive. And they either once were in the you know, case of proteins or a lot of them are in the forms of a lot of natural cheeses and things like that. What is an application for Koji after you've finally done all that work and created it? Well, there's <laughs> protein. You can add it to protein. Um, you can add it to anything pretty much because it's going anything that has a car- any kind of carbohydrate to it or protein, it's going to attach to it and, and grow. And just enhance that flavor and draw out new flavors. And I think umami is probably a word that people generally know. It adds, uh, you know, that that extra flavor. Mm-hmm. I feel that we we consider it like a natural form of MSG. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing, which so. is delicious, by yeah. the way. If anybody's <laughs> listening, stop giving MSG a bad name. It's not that it's not a good thing, but it you know it gets a bad rap. I think it's not our favorite. MSG is not our favorite, but if you can get glutamates to form, which mm-hmm. are the natural form, that's MSG is monosodium glutamate. If you can get glutamates to form in a natural way that are not harmful and they're not a neurotoxin, that's why chiropractors hate MSG because it's a neurotoxin, which actually attacks your nervous system. But, um, you know, not, not a huge fan of that, but if you can make glutamates, those are very, very tasty and you can make them in a natural way. And, you know, these types of different forms of fermentation do that. I mean, I mean this is a, this is a lot of work. This is hard. This is doing something and endeavoring something clearly for passion. 
why? Why make it so difficult? Why choose the hard path? I mean, obviously there's health benefits and things like that. And these things taste amazing, which we'll touch on in a few, but this is a lot of work and it's not just a lot of work. It's a lot of education also. So you're putting in the time you know, behind the line and letting all these things, you know, you're prepping them and they do all the work as you said, but what is it like day in and day out to a pursue these cayenne, you know, both culinary and scientific endeavors, but also educate your clientele? Is it, is it hard? Is it, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's hard. I don't know. It's fun. It, I don't, I don't That's think, a good question. I don't think I've ever thought of why, but I we, don't think of it as hard. I think of it as new and get on the train, you know, like, let's figure this out. Let's, let's, let's experiment. Let's take the time. Let's create these new flavors that people don't know how to create. Um, that's the way I look at it. The process. I guess the whole idea behind, you know, making the healthiest food possible is, I, I mean, I don't think that's a new concept, but in most restaurants out there, Orange County, LA County, or the world, people, the chefs are more focused on the outcome only being taste, the taste of it, you know, the texture, taste, is it balanced properly, acid, salt, you know, sweetness, whatever. It's really ultimately about the taste, and we're taking that concept to a new level where it's not just about the taste it has to be healthy too so if you can eat a food that tastes amazing like the best xyz that you've ever had and it's also got the best ingredients that we can get our hands on and you know there's not you know canola oil or you know things that are negative that basically impact our health in a negative way Um, there are different oils and different things that are used and just in the regular restaurant world that are not necessarily the best for our health so maybe it's because we know um that we purposely are are making our foods the best with the best ingredients that we know and that we can get our hands on i'm definitely more aware like i know i've worked in so many kitchens where people will use oil canola oil as a heat conductor to cook food so it looks great and you're i i can't even fathom well i wasn't trained that way but i see it all the time i just can't even fathom doing that to a nice organic pasture raised you know like if you're going to make something be true and true from the beginning to the end you know like with cooking um from your product what you're using that's really important it's always been important to me but this is like magnified here that's how i feel and it's uh, we work very hard to resource these organic and the best um, sustainable um, ingredients. It's 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 not easy, and that's half the battle too. When you're in a restaurant sourcing the the the, the best quality, and so it's like our meat. It's got we we prefer that it's grass fed and grass finished, you know, and that it's from California really hard to find yeah so that's we just have so many um beliefs we have so many um we have so many such high standards and we are on the same page about it it's really important to us everybody says that you shouldn't go into business with friends and family you guys are very good friends and you have been for many years this doesn't seem like there's animosity it almost seems like you've kind of created this symbiotic relationship where you just kind of complement each other's styles of scientific versus culinary, you know, embattled and very aware of these products versus new and discovery. You know, what's the process been like from the personal standpoint? Well, it always comes from a place of mutual respect. So when two people go into business together, if there's not mutual respect, it'll never work. So, you know, Amy and I've worked together. We've consulted with each other on different things. Um, when I was opening the hot bar, the restaurant portion of fermentation farm, I, leaned heavily on her for training and how to set up the kitchen and that sort of thing. So we'd already worked together and knew that it would work. We, we see eye to eye on almost everything. Um, we have, you know, we, we're open to each other's ideas too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't shut each other down. If someone has an idea that we'll, you know, we're open to exploring different ideas and, and, you know, it just works. Yeah, this is a very ambitious entrepreneur. Um, 
she sets the bar high. She has goals and she's very driven. And I admire that so much. And I'm motivated by that. So like nothing but respect for her. And it's easy or that way to work with somebody. If you just, you know, you have those, you hold somebody on, on that, I don't want to say pedestal, but like that high with those standards and values. That's really important. So seven, seven years is a long time. I mean, it's an established brand. It's an established vision. It's an established, you know, portfolio of products and things like that. Past couple months, you know, you've come in now, you just mentioned you're in brunch service. Again, we're recording this on June the 14th, depending on when you're listening to this, you could be six weeks into brunch service. I don't know, but brunch service has just started. You mentioned the classes are coming back. Dinner service is an ambition that you want to do. You've got now the grab and go items that Chef Amy has created. I mean, all these new products, has there been any kind of hesitation about, whoa, so much new so fast? Or is it just pedal down, let's go? Pedal to the metal. It's been like that for seven years. So we like, want more than that. We want more. <laughs> we think we're not doing enough fast enough. Exactly. <laughs> like I want wine dinners. We want beer dinners. We want farm dinners. We want, there's so many things. The sky's the limit. And I love that she shares that same ambition with me, but it's the same drive. It's where we just keep going and going out there. It, it's We'll reward ourselves with another project as soon as one's done. It's just how we work. On to the next, yeah. yeah. Well, when we, again, a couple questions ago, I was asking, and you brought up how, how a lot of chefs, they pursue taste, that kind of ultimate level of taste. Anybody who knows me even a little bit, um, I hate uh, tuna melts. And, and I promise that this is going to have a tangent that's going somewhere. I hate tuna melts. I hate them. They they're 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 a bastard sandwich, and they have no they have no place in the world. You were kind enough to let me try some of the food today that you're making. You have a tuna melt on the menu, which I know that you hate too. And we'll get up, we'll get to that. Um, it's goddamn delicious. It's so good. All the food I tried was so good. But it's just, and I use that as the example because, again, that's a food item that can go kick rocks. But you made all these, you took all these ingredients and all these practices and you combined both of your skill sets and knowledge and you made something that just goddamn rocks. <laughs> I mean, that's gotta feel good a little bit. I mean, but as a chef, you don't wanna get pigeonholed in some things. You don't just wanna be known for some things and, and you don't just wanna be one type of, you know, quote unquote, cook or chef. What's it like to be able to, because I know you want to do more and I can see that drive and I and just like the things you mentioned, you want to do them and both of you have that energy for it. What's it like having to start a little bit slow while still creating really kick-ass things like a damn tuna melt to build into that next area? Um, I keep busy. There's just, there's like, there's just so many things going on. That's what keeps me going. The grab and go, my jams, the brunch, you know, the, the, what's happening now is good. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, I'm satisfied with that, you know, cause we're just checking it off the list of all the things we want to do. I'm, I'm good. People are just starting to, and maybe they have been going out, but you know, again, everything is pretty much open. The lights at the end of the tunnel, the starting gun has gone off. We're all back to the races a little bit. What's it been like to have people coming back in that may not have been in since you have come on board culinary wise to see some of these new food items and some of these new things that you're doing? Um, it's been, it's been pretty refreshing because we are a different culture. I'm working in an environment and culture that I've never worked in before. And I say that in a way that, um, it's new to me, not like, um, not in a negative way. It's just, it's, it's, it's different. So people that are coming on board, they're learning too. They're eager, they're hungry to learn this culture um, of fermentation and all minute cooking. And there's so, there's so many jobs that we have, so many moving parts. Um, so I have a lot of ambitious people looking up to me to learn. So that, that's, that's fun. That's part of the whole, whole thing that's going on in the kitchen right now. Yeah, people are I'm, hungry. I'm glad you brought that up because, again, the number one conversation that nobody can seem to escape, again, you know, at the time that we're recording this, is nobody can hire anybody. Nobody can find anybody to work. Walking through your place today, I mean, this is you know Monday at 1 p.m. You got a ton of people working back there. I mean, you got a busy, busy staff going. And it there was this 
new energy. Everybody looked happy. And again, and I want to preface this by saying not that people aren't happy in other places, but this had a different feel to it. The staff kind of running around today had this optimism about them, for lack of a better term. There was this happiness. There was a fun energy. Everybody was almost kind of sharing that same excitement that you both have during this recording. What's it like for you to come to a, an environment like that to get away from maybe some of the more traditional stereotypes and, and negative things that do exist within some restaurants? It's important, but for me, I had to like slow it down a little bit. I'm intense. Um, I'm very urgent. And again, with fermentation, it works itself. You know what I'm saying? So like, I got to slow down, bring it, reel it in a little bit and kind of like look at the big picture because there are so many moving parts. So, um, yeah, and, and again, we're, we just started, you know, like, it's going to be different. It's going to be dinner service. Um, we're working on brunch right now. Um, there's certain people in place and stuff. So every, every, everybody has their thing to do, but genuinely, everyone who's there, like, feels important. They're contributing in some way, and that's, that's really important to us that we have employees that are happy and that we communicate properly. Um, uh, I have the time to do that here, you know? Um, and I got it. We have a great crew. We have a great staff. Everybody wants to be here. And doctor, I want to turn it to you. How did you build that culture? Cause ultimately you did that from the ground up. How did you build that culture throughout the years of people that, you know, kind of glommed onto this culture that, well, like I said, you built, what was that process like? Well, what's interesting is people show up, you know, they hear what's happening and people will just show up with their resume. So not that we haven't had to go out and also you know, put ads out for different positions and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I mean, people stay once, once we get them in and they are truly a part of our culture and they understand what we're trying to do and the importance of what we're trying to do as far as elevating food. So it's actually extremely healthy and you know, adds to people's health instead of taking from it. Um, once they realize that, like I said, people stay. We've had many, many employees stay for almost the whole time that I've been open. I have a lot of employees that have been here five, six years. That's great. In an industry with high turnover, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. How do you find new diners? Because like it or not, health food and food that is generally perceived as healthy comes with a stereotypical customer the same way that the steakhouse comes with a stereotypical customer, et cetera. You know, the, the bars have stereotypical people. Every aspect of this industry, you can kind of tell who's going to go. You're doing food that, again, I, I joke about the tuna melt, but that truly is freaking delicious. Everything that I tried today was delicious, but not just delicious. It was full flavored, but it was clean. I mean, we're sitting here recording a podcast that I'm trying to run about six dishes in. I should be asleep in my car right now, <laughs> but I feel completely fine. How do you go out and you find that person who is wary of, you know, quote unquote health food and get them to come in and be like, no, I'm going to show you some really delicious food with some techniques and flavors that you may not be aware of. And you're going to freaking love it. What does that future look like trying to find and entice new people? Um, well, from the beginning, we've had a newsletter that we put out. So we we have a database of almost 20,000 people where you know we shoot stuff out on, on social media or we put a newsletter out and it's going out to lots and lots of people. So even if those people haven't been here in a while, they'll see the pictures of the new brunch and I've gotten so many texts and so many emails and so many messages saying, I saw the pictures for the brunch, it looks amazing, we're coming back in. So I think it's just keeping it fresh and new and innovative and you know, pictures, really, people love pictures, especially they, when the food looks so amazing. They do help. Chef, what do you think? How do you how are you finding new diners to experience what you're doing here? I'm just putting new stuff out, but we use the best quality ingredients, and then that with my experience and our culture and our beliefs, like it's I've it's not a job. I don't know. I don't I don't feel like it's that hard. Plus, we have an amazing PR guy, Niaz Pirani. He's an amazing photographer. He's he's great with his words, and he's he's a miracle worker. So. He's part of our team and does a really good job. All those is, amazing pictures. Yep. <laughs> the pictures do help. <laughs> um, I want to touch on one last aspect um, just because I'm deeply fascinated by it. And it seems to have found this 
not Second Life because that makes it seem like it was going away at some point, but I want to talk about kombucha because I think kombucha is misunderstood by some people. They see it as kind of a healthy option. I have. Um, I've seen it, you know, hangover remedy. Great. We'll try kombucha. You know, I want to feel a little happy today. Great. Kombucha. Can you explain a little bit about the history of it? Because you make it in-house. Um, it was extremely cool to see it today, you know, being batched and stuff like that. You've got so many amazing flavors that you were gracious enough to let me try. It was like, you know, a healthy Baskin-Robbins in there. No offense to Baskin-Robbins. Please don't tell your legal team to come after me. But will you kind of talk about your kombucha program a little bit? Because that's it's such a wildly, wildly huge part of what you do here. Yeah, so we ferment foods and, you know, into sauerkrauts and pickles and that sort of thing. And then we also ferment beverages um, so in our beverage program, we have kombucha, we have jun, which is called the cousin to kombucha. It's slightly different green tea and honey instead of black tea and cane sugar. Um, and then we also have a fermented, uh, ginger drink line that we do. So we have a ginger soda, a vanilla soda and root beer. Those are all ginger fermented ginger based. So all of those beverages, and then we do a water kefir soda too, a blueberry water kefir soda. So, um, yeah, kombucha gained in popularity. GT Dave, I mean, he he's the one that really launched it out there. He was a seventeen year old kid making kombucha in his mom's garage, you know, in the in the early nineties, and then sold it to Erewhon in Beverly Hills first, and then that was really the first commercially available kombucha that you could get. And from there, it just kind of took off. So over the last twenty to thirty years, um, it's just something that is gained in popularity because in the 70s you had to make it yourself there was nowhere to buy it commercially Mm -hmm. um it is relatively easy to make we do have a class on that too because it's super easy to make on your own counter at home and it's a probiotic beverage that is really great for your gut too and it's a great replacement for people who are trying to get away from soda that has a lot of you know negative health effects um but yeah other than that we just make a ton of it and a bunch of different fun flavors too And I should mention, obviously, people who are listening to this that want to check out Fermentation Farm can come over and do so in person. But you are also working on the ability to be able to ship the products that you're making. Where where do you stand in that process and give or take? I mean, well, obviously, it's going to be up to, you know, people, a little bit of bureaucratic red tape. But where do you see kind of that future going? Um, We are in the process of applying for the certifications that we need to be able to ship our products um, across state lines. Uh, so we're probably, I'm guessing, a few months away. There are some inspections and things that need to happen um, on the state level in order to do that. So probably in a few months we'll have that availability. Just watch our website for that. Chef, obviously, um, for anybody who will go and research this afterwards that doesn't already know, you've done a lot of grab-and-go items that are extremely popular. The, tort- the tortillas are ridiculous and super, super good. There's a lot of other things that you're doing. What are some of the things that you look forward to in the future? Maybe not outside or inside kind of the dinner series, which I know are big for you, but what are some of the things that you're looking forward to also bringing potentially to the marketplace or even to be able to ship once that gets off the ground? No pun intended. Wow, that's a good question. I, for some reason, getting a lot of requests for like family meals to go, and that wasn't on my list. Do you think that was a product (laughs) of 2020 with restaurants kind of switching to doing family kits? I do, I do. So it's like, I'm not sure if we want to put that on the list, but I'm getting a lot of requests for that. Um, I'm not, yeah, my, my focus isn't really on the grab and go. It's, it's uh, dinner service. That's a, definitely the next focus. I do want to ask one question before we start to kind of wrap this up about getting back to dinner service. You know, I've spoken with a lot of people from the industry and one of the things they said was while 2020 was kind of a forced sabbatical for them to take a break when the restaurant was closed or something like that, it did let them reset their hours a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, running the hours that you're currently doing now is a lot different than running a full dinner service where you're maybe not getting out of there until midnight or something like that. Is there any kind of risk or fear about jumping back into those type of hours, losing some free time? Or is this just, as you said, it's not even work. This is just pure passion. No, I don't. There's no fear. I just think we're going to ease on into it like we ease into everything that we do. It's well thought out. It's planned. You know, we're not just, you know, it'll 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 be a few select days. It won't be seven days a week. You know, that's mm-hmm. we, we like to take things really slow in that respect because we want to do it right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I'm utterly blown away by everything you're doing. As I said, again, even facetiously, the food is phenomenal. The products are phenomenal. I think what you both bring to the table is 
stunning. And I think that anybody who hasn't checked it out yet absolutely should as soon as they possibly can. Um, if people wanted to learn more about Fermentation Farm, find you guys on social media, reach out for any questions, request family meals to irritate you, <laughs> where can folks do that at? Um, firmfarm.com is our website. At firm.farm is our Instagram. At Fermentation Farm is our Facebook. Perfect. Well, thank you both so, so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to be back for a tuna melt really soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Chef and Dr. Mason for taking the time to sit down. That was a fun one. Their friendship is tangible. What they're doing is phenomenal. The whole bit about the damn tuna melt. I'm never going to lie to any of you that are listening to this. It was literally the best one I've ever had. And I hate those little sandwiches. Their food is phenomenal. Uh, went home and tried some of the other things that they're making over there. And trust me, it's all good. So please be sure to get out, get over to Costa Mesa, check out Fermentation Farm. Thank you to the sponsors for the show. Thank you to everybody that supports on Patreon each and every month. Whether you subscribe at $1 or you're all the way up at $15 for norm status each and every month, that money goes so, so far in supporting this pokey little podcast and everything that I'm trying to do with the best seats. So thank you. If you're listening on free feeds, don't worry. I love you too. As long as you leave a rating and or a review, go to thebestseats.com for more. Patreon.com, the best seats to learn how you can support and get ad-free listening. Oh, it's so good. The restaurants are back. Hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in the Liso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Cheryl McCarthy, George Pavlov, Serena Warino, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk. Thank you for your support.